Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. Um, my name is Brent, and I'm the new guy around here. Um, and it is good to see so many familiar faces and so many new faces. And I'm going to get my stuff together here in just a moment so we can maybe cut the live stream real quick. I wanted to say a hello to those of you that are watching online. I know so many folks, for whatever reason, they had to travel. Uh, it's the end of school. People are, are, uh, are going on vacation and they're, they're doing the whole RV thing and all that. For those of you who are watching online, we're glad that you're here with us as well. Um, my name is Brent. It's an honor that you all called me to be uh, your next senior pastor, your lead pastor, and I don't take that for granted at all. Um, so thank you for that opportunity. What I wanted to do is I wanted to thank a couple of people before I get started in today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd love to have you turn with me, though, uh, to the New Testament. If you have those, grab those and we'll get going there in just a minute. I want to say a special thank you uh, to the interim pastor, Bruce Porter, who is sitting in the back row. Bruce, stand up. Stand up. Stand up, Bruce. Let's give it up for Bruce. Um, Bruce was a, a key part uh, in me being here, and uh, he, he really uh, loved you all well for the last year. Um, Bruce uh, and I had a conversation in, at the beginning of the year when I came back from Israel, and it was it was that conversation that set the course of me being here today. So, Bruce, thank you for that. I also wanted to say a special thank you to the search team members and the leadership of this church um, for walking with me so well. Um, if that is you, I know there's some new faces here, but if, if you're part of the leadership, you're part of the search team, would you just stand to your feet at this time, if you would? Please stand to your feet. We, uh, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They, they led well. They led uh, respectfully, honorably, godly, biblically, and I just want to say thank you for that. A special thank you for my friends um, uh, and family who are here. I'm not going to make direct eye contact with you, <laughs> so we can do that later. Um, and also a special thank you for Cross City um, for the last seven years. Uh, it was, it's been an amazing uh, season, but we're also excited, believing uh, that the best is yet to come. Amen? All right. So with that being said, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about the three things that y'all have called me to do. You've called me uh, to uh, you've called me to pastor. You've called me to lead and you've called me to preach. So let me talk about the first important one. Pastoring. Pastoring is one of those things. It's kind of a three way street. You heard of a two way street? It's a three way street. There's a God part to that street where God calls and equips people to be pastors there's an obedient side to that where a person says yes to that and they step into that. And then there's a third part where a congregation says, yes, you'll be our pastor. And I just want you to know that those three things are happening now as we talk. That, that there are some of you that you don't know me from a postage stamp. This is the first time you've ever seen me. You're saying, I'm not even sure I like this guy. He cries all the time, right? You know, you're thinking that. Um, but I also want you to know that for some of you, I am your pastor. 
And so pastor is one of those two-way streets where I believe it's not only a calling on my life, but I think it's how some of you view me. And so um, we're going to do this together. And, and, and I believe that, that when, for some of you, um, I've not yet, if you will, earned the right to be your pastor, but I do step in that role of a lead pastor and I'll do my very best, uh, to, to honor Christ, uh, and you in that process. Uh, and, and I look forward to the day when you're like, yeah, that's my pastor. Uh, number two, you guys have called me to be a leader and the leader that I want to follow is Jesus. He was a servant leader. Paul's book uh, that he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said that Jesus Christ, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, he humbled himself, taken on the position of a servant. And so that's what I want to be. All right. Yeah. All right. And finally, I want to be a preacher and I'm not going to cry with that because that is the, that is my heart's passion. For some of you that know me, you've had an opportunity to hear my messages. This is one of the things I'm getting really excited about in this role is that I'm going to have the opportunity, uh, to not share my thoughts with you, but rather, uh, dig into God's word and look at what he thinks, his thoughts on life. Because friends, our life is hard. Our world is broken, but God is good. Amen. And he has, he has called me to be his disciple. And if there's one thing that I'm super excited about in life, and that is, is what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus. So that's the whole focus of our time together that we have this morning is I just want to talk about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not like a good idea, everybody. All right. Does it sound like a good idea, everybody? All right. All right. All right. So, um, so if you, if you want to sleep for the next 20 minutes, uh, I'm going to give you the big idea so that you can leave here and you can say, I went to church and I know what we talked about. So if you have your notes, they should be in the bulletin that you were given on the way in. If not, uh, it's going to magically pop up here on the screen. But it's a definition of what discipleship is. If you would write it down, discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. That discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Let's all say that out loud, everyone. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Jesus. And that's really our goal in life. Uh, uh, it is to become more like Jesus. And, and in Scripture, Jesus, in his famous last words that he shared with his disciples and those who were there when he got called up into heaven on the Mount of Olives, he shared these words, which is our key text for this morning, comes from Matthew chapter 28. Um, and it says these words, therefore go and make disciples. Everyone say disciples. Everyone make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching these new disciples. Everyone say disciples. These new disciples to obey everything I've commanded and I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what we know is, is that Jesus shares his famous last words with his disciples. He doesn't say, go make converts. He doesn't go and say, go make members. He doesn't go and say, go make attendees. He doesn't even say, go and make Christians. He says, I want you to go make what everyone? Disciples. And disciples are the kind of people that are, that are wanting to become obedient to Christ. And when we are obedient to Christ, it always results in a blessing. 
When we're disobedient, it leads to discipline. But when we'll be obedient to fulfilling this commissioning on our life, we will be blessed. This process is called discipleship. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, it was written in Hebrew. And before Jesus came on the scene, which invoked the New Testament, uh, Hebrew was the language that people spoke. And there is a word for disciple in the Hebrew. I'm going to make you guys sound really smart, okay? It's going to come up on your screen right now. It's called Talmud. Everyone say Talmud. And that is the Hebrew word for disciple. And when you get a bunch of disciples together and you conjugate it into the Hebrew, it's called the Talmudin. Everyone say Talmudin. And that is what we are. Just like you have a flock of seagulls or a flock of birds, you have a Talmudin of Jesus. I also looked up that there are also a bike of bees. I didn't realize that bees traveled in a bike pack, right? And also, my favorite one, a glaring of cats, right? Which which seems appropriate, right? Because cats are always looking at you like they hate you anyway, right? Yeah. But we are the Talmudin of Jesus. And, and in the first century, that is what Jesus would have been known by. We know Jesus today as the Son of God. We know Him as the Messiah. We know Him as, we know Him as the chosen one of God. But at the time of Him calling His disciples, Jesus would have been known as a Jewish rabbi. And his classroom would have been the Sea of Galilee region in Israel, and he would travel from synagogue to synagogue, and he would be teaching. And his teaching was called his yoke. The yoke of a rabbi was their interpretation of Torah. Torah would have been the first five books of the Bible. And their understanding of Torah would have been their yoke. And you might remember Rabbi Jesus saying, come and follow me. My yoke is what? Easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus was a memorable teacher. People listened to him and they listened to his understanding of Torah. And the implications of that for us today are huge because culturally we think about going to church or being a Christian. But to Jesus in the first century, which should matter to us, amen? It it was very, very, very different back then than it was today. If you would turn with me to Mark chapter 1, we're going to go to four Bible passages very quickly. And I want to show you this pattern of discipleship that Jesus portrayed with those close to him, to his Tal Medin. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they did what everyone they followed him. Now that's significant because Jesus was calling his first disciples. If you've ever heard of the phrase, I'm a follower of Jesus, it's because right here. And what they did is something significant. To follow Jesus meant that they dropped their what? Nets. And their nets represented their livelihood, their ability to provide for themselves. Not only that, their nets represented their family and their community. So to follow Jesus came at a pretty high cost. A lot of times for us in our culture, we think to ourselves, I I don't want to follow somebody or something if it's going to cost me too much. But I need you to know in the first century, to follow Jesus would have cost you what? Everything. 
Um, another scripture I want you to turn to. Next chapter, chapter 2, verse 13, we see this. It says, once again, Jesus went beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. And Jesus said, what? Follow me. And Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. So what we need to know about this following story is it wasn't just people that had jobs that everyone appreciated, like fishing. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is calling shady people to be his disciples. Tax collectors were not appreciated in the first century culture. They were, they were kind of rip-off artists. And so what we see is that this tax collector, Levi, leaves his H&R block stand and he starts to follow Jesus. Now, that's good news for some of you here today that feel like you don't belong in a church like this. You feel like you don't fit in nice and neatly into religious boxes. And that is that Jesus, time and time again, would call all people from wherever they were to be his followers, even shady tax collectors can we hear an amen for shady tax collectors, everybody? Right? Amen. Right? Now, you're going to notice some, some of you that we're going to have a light beam on you right now if you're a shady tax collector. No, I'm joking. That's not going to happen. But we can work on that for next week. All right. Another thing that I wanted to point out is, a, is another story of Jesus calling his disciples. If you would turn to the next chapter, chapter 3, Mark 3, verse 13. Jesus goes up on this mountainside. They're still in the Galilee region. There's a sea there, which looks a lot like Millerton Lake, but right, okay. And Jesus is up on a mountainside, called him those that he wanted, which is cool. This is Jesus' idea. He wanted disciples and they came to him. That's an obedience part there. Verse 14, and he appointed 12. And those are the apostles. When we think about the 12 apostles, the disciples, these are the 12 right there, that they may be what everyone with him. And that he might send them out to preach and have authority and drive out demons. You see, Jesus is calling out the Talmudine. He's calling those to not only be his followers, but he is giving them authority. He is, the word here is he is appointing them to not only be his followers, but to be his apprentices. He's, he's putting them in the game. He's giving them playing time. They're just not sitting on the bench. They're just not laughing at his jokes. He's given them a chance to do the stuff. And for those of us in here today, we just need to realize it's just not about a guy up here talking fast and sweating and crying. Right? It's not, it's not about a paid professional. It's about the fact that, friends, we as the Talmudian of Christ are the priesthood of all believers. Amen. And he modeled that at the very first beginning of the church. He's calling people. He's giving them the authority. And then the last one that I want to share with you, we'll skip. I, could, I had to skip over a bunch of cool ones, but I got to make sure I get you guys out of here on time. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus calls a crowd to him along with the disciples. So here's good news. For those of you that are not yet Jesus followers, Talmudim, and you're still figuring out this whole faith thing, Jesus thing, you're in the crowd. And I'm glad you're here. So Jesus is, is teaching to the crowd and, and he's got his disciples there and he says, whoever, and when he says whoever, that means literally whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now it's interesting to note here that Jesus is referring to something that will be very near and dear to his life and death in three years from now. And that's going to be dying on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. And Jesus says that to be a follower of him means it's going to come at a cost. Not only will we need to drop our nets, not only will we walk away from our shady business enterprise, 
but we're also at times going to have to sacrifice and it could cost us more than we want, even our life. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. And friends, this flies in the face of our culture. Our idea of following things in our culture never costs us anything. Oh yeah, I follow that person on Instagram. Oh yeah, I, I, I stream that person's messages on YouTube. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I, I follow this, I follow that, but it never comes at a personal cost to us. But for Jesus, to follow Jesus came at a high, high cost. For some of you to be here this morning came at a high, high cost. And this was a life-altering decision that people would make to follow Jesus. You see, to be a follower of Jesus would have been culturally a desirable thing. In our culture today, not so much. But if you're growing up in the first century, uh, this was your understanding of education. I know we have some Fresno Christian people here, so you're going to love this education talk real quick, okay? So when you were born, you were born into a Jewish family, you'd go to synagogue, and when you were of age, you would go to school. And the school was called, not Fresno Christian, but it was called House of the Book. And at the House of the Book, what they would do is they would take the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and that was your book, you learned how to read, you learned how to write, you learned arithmetic, you learned about life and all things important through Torah. And at the end of your experience, when you were, oh, uh, I don't know, right, like age 12, most of these children would have memorized the entire Torah by the end of age 12. Right? And we're all caught up on all these other things right now about where you go to the bathroom, right? But now, I mean, they literally are talking about Torah. And so the best of the best would would graduate from what was called the house of the book and they would move into what was called the house of the learning. And a Jewish person would go to synagogue, which is like we go to church, they go to synagogue and attached to the synagogue would have been a building um, and they would have learned. And the best of the best would have, have then learned the rest of the Hebrew Bible in the next four years or so. And, and it, would have, it would have consumed their entire life. That would have been like going to like college. And most would never move beyond this. They would go and apprentice into their family's trade. They would go get married. But the best of the best of the best would be interviewed by a rabbi. And that rabbi would, would question if they knew Torah, if they knew God's word, if they knew an understanding, they would, they would question him. And when they got to a place where they believed that that student was good enough and smart enough, they would say, come and follow me. And that rabbi would then allow that student to be their Talmud for the next season of their life, for years sometimes. And during that time when they were being apprenticed as a Talmud, they would do three important things. Number one, they would spend time with their rabbi. They would spend a lot of time with the rabbi. We're talking 24 hours a day, seven days a week, eat, sleep, drink, play. There's this little fun statement in the Hebrew that would say a blessing for a, for a, for a follower of the rabbi would be, would you be covered in the dust of your rabbi? That you would literally be following so close to your rabbi that what's ever getting kicked off the back of that rabbi's sandals would be on you. The second thing that you would do is that you would become like your rabbi. And I mean literally become like your rabbi. You would eat like your rabbi. You would laugh like your rabbi. You would emulate everything that your rabbi did. 
And this is very different from our culture. In our culture, everybody wants to be unique. They want to be different. They want to be snowflakes. But back then, it wasn't about being the snowflake. It was about conforming to your rabbi, being like them in everything that they did and how they thought. And then the third thing is, is that they would want to do what their rabbi did. And so when Jesus calls his disciples up onto a mountain, he says he called them so that he might be with them. And the scripture tells us that he is then giving them authority to do the things that he was doing. So he was modeling for them as their rabbi. He was putting them into the game. He was pushing them into the kingdom for them to become rabbis. So some of you are thinking to yourself, Thank you, Professor Deffenbacher, for the history lesson, okay? What does this have to do with being a Jesus follower in Fresno today? I'm so glad you asked. If we're serious about becoming more like Jesus, we need to glean some of these lessons from the history of our faith. Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to make sure that we're spending time with Jesus. We need to make sure that we are spending time with our rabbi. And our time is our most valuable commodity. I've heard it said that you can make more money, but you can't make more time. And that is true. Where we leverage our time is what we value. And so what we're going to do over the course of the next couple of weeks and months when we kick off our new teaching series is we're going to take some of these spiritual disciplines... And we're going to begin to look at how those can inform us to become more like Jesus, whether it's reading God's word or it's prayers, journaling, dare I say fasting. That's a fun one, right? A Sabbath, serving and giving. And these are those spiritual rhythms and disciplines that are going to make us more like Jesus. Um, one of the things I've committed myself to for the last seven years is making disciples who make disciples. And there's a theme verse that I've just kind of formed me for these last several years that comes from Colossians chapter 2. Maybe just write that down on your notes. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. I love this analogy. And it says, So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Everyone say, Rooted. It rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing in thankfulness. This is a picture of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus, a Talmudine of Jesus, a person who is growing spiritually by doing these spiritual practices or these disciplines. And they're going to result in us becoming more like Jesus. Number two, if you're taking notes, write this down, that we are then going to become like Jesus. That not only are we going to be spending time with Jesus, but then that because of that time we're spending with him and in his word and with others, we're going to become more and more like him. I grew up in the church and we had a big, fancy, scary word for this and we called it sanctification. I said that, I got to say it in like a southern draw, sanctification, right? And, and it kind of scared me. It's like, oh, what does that mean, right? But sanctification means spiritual formation. It means discipleship. And the question that we all have to ask ourselves this morning before I go into the third point is what are we forming our life after? Who are we wanting to become more like? And I just want you to know that as a Jesus follower, a person who's committed his life and his eternity to Jesus, I want my one person to be Jesus. Amen. And so for us to be able to know what Jesus knew and do what Jesus did, we need to start with his 
with his, his most famous teachings. And so beginning next weekend, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start walking through the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, we're, we're, we're calling this series Lessons Along the Way. And while we're doing that, we're going to be looking at some of these spiritual habits that we can begin to form in our life for us to love God more, for us to live out God's love more along the way of Christ. And then number three, what we need to do is we just need to do what Jesus did. We need to do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? We know that he he preached the gospel. We know that he taught people about the way. We know that he healed people who were sick. We know that he spent time with shady people. We know that he, he did his best to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth as it was in heaven. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to be people that are going to be doing life together in community, following Jesus, the one true way, and living these principles out. And you don't need to quit your job to do it. You don't need to, you don't need to drop your nets. You can, you can continue to do what you're doing, whether it's in an office or, or it's in a, in a classroom, but to do it for Jesus. You see, we've got some cultural challenges right now. And the cultural challenge based on a recent Gallup poll says that there are 76% of Americans that identify as being a follower of Jesus, but less than 10% would call themselves disciples that actually live out the teachings of Jesus. Do you see the gap there? You're looking at a majority of people identifying with Christmas and Easter. We call those CEOs, Christmas and Easter only, right? Uh, they're CEOs. But when it comes to the other 50 weeks of the year, it's a thought. It's not actually an action. And so not out of a heart of judgment, but out of a heart of just where are you with that? Are you, are you culturally more of a Christian that it's just something that you think about when it's, when it's, when it's convenient? Or are you interested in becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus? See, Jesus has offered us to have life and have it abundantly. And, and what we do know in life is, is that life is hard. And when it hits us, it hits us like just waves and they come crashing in. Talked about four weeks ago about doing life in the meantime of the storms of life. And I have a feeling that some of you are going through storms. Some of you might be in the middle of one or there's this one right around the corner. I want to share with you something that Jesus says as I, as I prepare to close here in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. You don't need to turn there. It's going to pop up on the screen. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Can you all say follows it? See, it's one thing for you to hear the teaching, for you to read the teaching, but it's yet another thing for you to actually put it into practice. It's like a wise person who builds their house on a solid rock. Though the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it will not collapse. Why? Because you built your house on the rock. You know, it was a couple of years ago in my life. Um, I, I mean, I've been a pastor for decades now. But if I'm just being honest, I was at a time in my life and time in my, my just my personal devotion where where I looked pretty good on the outside, but internally I just, I wasn't alive. I was just kind of going through the motions. Um, and I, I went and I just talked to a trusted friend and that trusted friend said, Brent, be really helpful if you went and talked to a, a counselor. So I, I talked to a Christian counselor and just began the process of realizing that what had happened was that I had just kind of 
turned into a professional Christian. Just a professional Christian. But I, I had, not that I'd fallen out of love with Jesus, I just wasn't doing the things that a disciple of Jesus could and should do. And it was at that time that, that the Lord just began to say, you know what I need to do? I just need to bring it back to the basics. Just need to bring it back to just like, do you love me? Do, do, do you love people? No? Okay. The reason why you don't love people is because you don't love me and you forgot how much I loved you. So would you spend time with me? Yes, I will. Will you pray? Yes, I will. Will you journal? Yes, I will. Will you give? Okay, I'll give. You know. And so what I'm saying is, is, guys, you don't have a person up here that's got it all together. I don't have all the answers. I was actually uh, golfing with a friend of mine, Jeff, who's sitting right there. And, uh, and it was a couple weeks ago, and I was struggling with my game, especially in my short game. And I just looked at Jeff, and I'm like, Jeff, what in the world's going on with my short game? And he said, well, how much have you been practicing lately, Brent? And I looked at him, and I said, shut up, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> Aren't you just supposed to be able to go out and tee it up and let it fly, right? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? But the truth is, is that practice makes permanent. And I wasn't practicing. I was just out there continuing to regurgitate some, some flawed swing thoughts. So some of us in life, we've, we've, we've gotten, we've, we've been practicing, but we've just, we, we've, we've practiced some things that have gotten us into a rut. And I just want to remind you that, that that's not the life that Jesus died for us to experience. Jesus died for us to have life and have it to the full. So if you're not, if you're not experiencing that, if you find yourself settling for a form of just religiosity, I want to encourage you to, to maybe, maybe today to say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I, I, I want to, I want to start walking closer to Jesus. And when you do that, I'm going to tell you what, really, really cool things happen. You begin to experience Jesus in some very real ways. And I know this talk for some of you is hitting kind of close to home and you're like, you know what, Brent? I kind of like just going to church. But here's the problem. Nowhere in scripture does it say go to church. It says you are the church. Be the church. So what kind of church are we going to be, Bethany? My hope is, is we be the kind of people that would be like Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. The worship team is going to come on up. So Lord God, as we wrap up this time, I pray that we would not settle for cultural complacency. It's our desire to become more like you, Jesus. We want to be the Talmudin of Christ. Would you allow us to become more and more obedient followers to you and to your way? Would we be willing to drop our nets? Would we be willing to carry our cross if necessary? I believe you now are just like you did on a mountainside in Galilee. You're calling some to walk closer with you, to take some risks, to drop the net to not settle for what we've been settling for, but rather, God, being called and commissioned into greater things. We confess, Lord God, that sometimes we really underestimate you and we love to put you in boxes that you never wanted to be placed in. So, Jesus, today on this first weekend of June, the beginning of a new chapter in all of our lives, would you continue to be the one that we live for? For those in here today that have not yet given their life to you, they've, they've been on the fence, they've been, they've been looking from the sidelines, they felt like Levi the tax collector, that they're a shady dude and doing shady stuff. 
Holy Spirit, right now, would you just reveal to them how deeply loved by you they are? And that you're calling them into a saving relationship with you, Jesus. And they don't have to do anything. It's already been done. They just have to acknowledge their need for you and receive the salvation that comes from you and you alone. And they can start walking in the freedom that only comes through a redeemed life in Christ. For all of us, God, would we leave here not the same, but we leave here with a greater sense of your love for us and that would it allow us to love others as well. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.